This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to helping you become a savvier marketing leader, no matter your level. In each episode, we will dive into a relevant topic or challenge that marketing leaders are currently facing. We will also give you practical tools and applications that will help you put what you learn into practice today. And if you missed anything, don't worry. We put worksheets on our website that summarize the key points. Now, let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about how to write an effective creative brief. So when I was at PNG, this was probably one of the most controversial topics because we always debated how much does the agency really need to know? What kind of guidelines do we need to give them? How do we make sure they can still be creative, but without going way out into left field? How do we know the work is good? And I will tell you, there was actually no silver bullet and there was no one single format that worked every time. Yeah, and as the receiver of said briefs, I can tell you that the frustration for us on the agency side came against the same questions. We would either feel like we just got a dump bunch of information with no focus, no goals, no success criteria, or on the other side of that, we were given so very little that we really had nothing to go on. And then there was everything in between. So to Anne's point about format, the formats we got were all over the board depending on the clients. And then our creative teams would get super frustrated because they don't want all the words. They just want to know the assignment and the parameters for the design. And it's just, it's so very hard to serve so many masters with a brief. And that's part of the fundamental problem. Then not to mention, you have the two sides, client and agency, which communicate very differently from each other. And it's unfortunate you can't read minds because that would make it a whole (laughs) lot easier, right? And for this topic, we're bringing on a special guest, Howard Eibach. He is the author, trainer, and the king of creative briefs that sell. Hi, Howard. Thanks for being on our podcast today. Would you like to introduce yourself? Well, yes. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to this conversation. I have been doing this for quite a while. I'm a former creative, uh, copywriter, and creative director, author of two books, as you said, on the creative brief, but I've also put together a portfolio of workshops that I do for the Association of National Advertisers, the ANA. I'm a faculty member of their marketing training and development center, kind of a mouthful. Mm-hmm. I also do independent training for companies that come to me that are not members of the ANA. And I do a, a blog, a weekly blog on the topic. And today, as I was saying to you before we hit record, my podcast co-host, Henry Gomez, and I dropped our 100th episode of a brief of a podcast, video podcast we call The Brief Brothers. So I talk, I know a little bit about briefs. <laughs> Just a little bit. If you had told me this, if you had said, Howard, you're going to be recognized as the as an expert, a subject matter expert on creative briefs. If you told me that at the beginning of my career, I would have said, okay, that's not really what I had in mind when I got into this because I love being a creative. But it turns out that my analytical side, I find it very appealing because I also went into direct marketing. I did a lot of direct marketing and direct uh, response work as a creative. And the measurement side of our field, our industry, is also quite fascinating to me. I want to do creative work that sells. David Ogilvy used to say, if it doesn't sell, it's not creative. I'm afraid, I'm deathly afraid, that that sentiment has gone bye-bye in our industry today. People are more interested in selling social justice than they are in selling toothpaste. Uh, and we have to remember that we're in this business to sell toothpaste, and we're an important cog in the industry and in the environment economy for doing that. 
So what's the best way to sell great quantities of toothpaste? You really got to know your brand. And that's articulated in the creative brief. I got into this when I caught my staff at an agency where I was working, cutting and pasting the client's Marcom brief. That was their name, marketing communications brief. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Directly into our creative brief template without changing a word. Mm -hmm. So that that kind of pissed me off. <laughs> I mean, I was well, I was well into my career. I was like 20 some years into my career. I was a creative director at this time, but I recognized that this was a big problem. And I love to tell this story because I went to my bosses. I went to my immediate boss, creative director, and her boss, who was the executive creative director at the agency where I was working at the time in Minneapolis. And I said, I caught my staff doing this. I want to do some training around the creative brief. And I kid you not, before I got the whole sentence out of my mouth, they said, please, would you do that? Would you please do some training? Because they recognize this as a problem too. But who has time to do this anymore? Back in the day, in the 70s and 80s, ad agencies took this on as a responsibility for themselves to train their staff. They trained copywriters. They trained art directors, they trained account management folks, and they trained strategists. They don't do that anymore. So there's very few opportunities. That's changing, thankfully. And that's one of the things that I do. I got tired of reading bad briefs. I didn't know what a good brief was. I did what any good student does. I went to school. And now going to school was, I read books like this one, which we talked about, you know, John Haggerty. And John Steele's Truth, Lies, and Advertising. And I read everything I get my hands on. I talked to strategists and I figured out what a good brief was. I found examples of good briefs, not blank templates, but really well done briefs. And they're not easy to find. And that's how I built this training around how to write. I call it an inspired creative brief. I think that's more than you. It's more than you asked me to, to answer. <laughs> well, it provided a really good overview. And you hit on a lot of the key points that we're going to talk about today, which, but I think the backstory really sets up probably the challenge that a lot of folks are facing still today with regards to the creative brief. So I think that was a really good, uh, really good setup for a, a lot of things that we're going to talk about. And I think you've hooked everybody because everybody's like nodding their heads. Yeah, like, yes, yes, yes. Now just tell me what it is, right? So uh, let's jump into how to write an effective or inspirational creative brief. And you already talked about this as being the most fundamental thing is make sure you know your brand. Now, you, as you said, Howard, you can't write an effective brief if you don't know your brand. I mean, and this is more than just a visual and verbal toolkit, which is what a lot of people describe their brand as. But your brand is so much more than that. It's Your brand is how it actually comes across in the world to your consumer, your customer, your client. So people are going to experience your brand in certain ways, and you need to be able to articulate what those ways are. So why do people use it? Why do people want it? Again, how do they talk about it? How do they experience it? What can they expect from it? How is it different? And most importantly, how do they feel about it? Or how does the brand make them feel? Now, it's very hard to create compelling creative around a product benefit because the power of the creative is eliciting emotions. You have to get to that impact that your brand has in order to be able to really effectively create inspirational creative. And if you haven't figured out what that is, you really, really need to do the work in order to be able to articulate those things or else you're not going to be able to write an effective creative brief. Mm -hmm. And then once you know your brand, you should be able to simply and clearly articulate it. This is the other struggle a lot of people have. If you can't succinctly do this, you will struggle with developing a creative brief because you have to be 
brief <laughs> writing your brief so it needs right. to be succinct in, in order to translate your brand because remember who this is for this is for people who have very short attention spans i mean long form creative now is like a one to two minute video and we're still wait wait i'm gonna stop i'm gonna stop you i reject the premise that we have short attention spans and the proof is what we are doing right now long form podcasts people are listening to them in the millions the tens of millions we also binge watch on Netflix and Amazon Prime. So anyone with a short attention span is not going to sit in front of the TV and watch 17 episodes of The Wire back to back, <laughs> right? I, I listen to podcasts myself. I have a host of podcasts. So I reject the notion that we have shorter attention spans. That's just evidence does not back that up. But I also want to back up and ask a question that I think comes even before the questions, all the great questions that you asked, Dan, and that is, can you even describe your brand? Mm -hmm. yes. I've, I've discovered in my training, and I don't, I don't point fingers of blame at anyone. This is just a challenge that we all face. Everyone I've ever encountered in my training is really good at describing their product. They know exactly what their product is. But when I say, okay, describe your brand. They go, up, and they end up describing their product mistakenly as their brand. So I do this challenge. I'm going to tell you what the challenge is. I do a little bit of a challenge in my workshop. It's called the Albert Einstein Challenge. I don't mind sharing this with the world because I want you to do it at home. You can do this unsupervised. It won't hurt you. <laughs> Just don't do it climbing a ladder, please. I ask participants to take, first I do it in two parts. I said, tell me a brand that you love, that you use every day, your favorite brand, a pair of Levi's, an Apple, iPhone. Maybe you love Nike shoes, something that you love and use every day. Albert Einstein is famous for having said, if you can't explain it to a kid, you don't understand it yourself. So here's the challenge. Take this brand, this favorite brand that you love, and maybe you are a zealot about, describe that brand to a kid in language that a kid would understand. And I say, okay, go off and do this. And I have them pair up with two or three people so they have a little bit of help. And they come back and they still have a tendency to describe their product, what the product is rather than what the brand is. So, Ann, you said earlier that you need to take a, you need to find a product benefit. Not every product has a benefit, right? Before we started this call, I was on the phone with the, the major insurance company because I'm getting a new quote for my auto insurance. One of those <laughs> things that we all, we all love to hate having to do. Oh, yeah. And what's the difference? Tell me, what's the difference between Geico, State Farm, Progressive, Liberty Mutual? What's the difference? What does one, what is the point of differentiation? I love to hear that. I hear that all the time when I do training. We have to figure out what the point of differentiation is. Okay, what's the point of differentiation between Geico, Progressive, State Farm, and Liberty Mutual? The experience you have with them is really the yeah. only point of differentiation you get because it's a commoditized. is the yeah. same, yeah. It's parity. It's the only point of differentiation is the brand. And... Byron Sharp is famous for having written a book called How Brands Grow. I don't really read a lot of marketing, but my podcast partner, Henry Gomez, is a strategist, and he is a devotee of Byron Sharp, and he applies Byron Sharp's principles. He said, really, what makes the difference between one brand and another is mental availability. Where you're, where you're in the environment where you buy the product you're going to go to buy, grocery store is a great example. When you walk into the grocery store and you got to buy a new whatever and you don't know which product or which brand to get, what do you rely on? What's the last time I saw a TV spot or a magazine ad for X? 
or have I heard of it before? Yeah. Or have I heard of it before? Right. You walk down the detergent aisle and it's basically orange. <laughs> yep. Now you're speaking right? in language. PNG, right. It's basically orange. Tide essentially owns from top to bottom, every shelf. There are other products out there. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to denigrate any other products, but that's the one that, that occupies both shelf space and our mind space, right? So mental availability is the thing that we have. That's what's the difference between one brand and another. You don't go relying on reasons to believe, points of differentiation. So when I ask these participants to describe their brand, they, they stumble. It's hard to do. Now, I was talking before about John Haggerty's, whose book, uh, Haggerty on Advertising, is a Bible for anybody in the creative world. He posed an interesting question about this, which I want to share with you today. He said, what is the most, not the most famous, but the most effective brand ever on the planet? And he said, well, some people might say it's Volkswagen. They've done some great advertising. They might, some might say it's, it's Apple. They've done some great advertising. Some might say it's Nike. Uh, they're they're iconic in the environment today, but Sir John Haggerty says, "I think it's the Catholic Church." <laughs> I've heard that one before. Yeah. I was going yes. <laughs> to say the government, but I was yeah yeah. He's not talking about this from a religious perspective at all, but branding. He said, "What is the logo for the Catholic Church? It's a simple cross." And who's the spokesperson for the Catholic Church? Well, it's the son. He says it's the son of the founder, yeah. right? <laughs> right. What is the brand promise? I can say it in two words. And this is describing the brand. Everlasting life. Believe in me and you will have everlasting life. Now, I'm not talking about whether you believe or you don't believe. You know, I have my own personal faith. I don't have religion, but I have faith. But in terms of how we understand what a brand is, Sir John, I think, nails it right on the head. So if you have a, if you have a struggle, if you struggle describing your brand, you are going to, in fact, have a hard time. In fact, I don't know if it's possible to write a creative brief, but that doesn't stop people from writing briefs. We all know this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's exactly right. And I mean, as a fellow creative, I will say, although you can you can argue that, I guess, of the strategy versus the creative side of the world. Right. But as an agency person, I mean, I think that that was always one of the hardest things. And, you know, you mentioned training folks and making sure that people actually understand the business and how some of that has gone away, quite frankly, and I, I tend to agree with you. And so I think what you have happen is it just becomes something else that folks have to check off their list. And so when we think about the brand level of things, the brief never gets there because they're just listing off the assignment, quote unquote, instead of actually the brief associated with the brand and what we're trying to deliver. And number one, that's not inspiring to any creative team that I've no. ever with. But it also completely misses the mark of what we're supposed to do on the agency side for our clients, which is deliver that brand-led creative because whether whatever level they appreciate or understand brand, it's our job to do what is right for them against their brand, no matter whether they know they really need it or not. And then it becomes the selling, of course. What you need before that is the strategy. Right. The other challenge that I face in my training is that marketers who are responsible for writing brief, and, and let me just be clear here, most of the people that I train are marketers. Yep. I do very little training with ad agencies themselves. Ah, okay. Mm -hmm. So the other side. Unless it's an in-house ad agency. And if it's an in-house ad agency, sometimes they do in fact have strategists who are responsible for writing briefs, but not all of them do. So they're missing that little piece of the puzzle, the 
title or the res responsibility of writing a brief with having had training in writing a brief. So marketers who don't have that training come into it at a disadvantage. And so that's why I emphasize collaboration when you write a brief. You should work with another marketer because two brains are better than one. When Bill Bernbach was alive and kicking and, and setting standards, setting high standards for the golden age of advertising, he did something that no one had ever done before. But now it's we, something we take for granted. He took a copywriter and an art director, put them together and called it the creative team. Believe it or not, that didn't exist you know, pre-40s, pre-50s. Now it's just the way of the world. So I say, let's learn from what Bill Birnbach said and do the same thing for writing a brief. Now, this is only in a, in a, in a situation where there are no strategists. Because the, the thing is that a marketer has many things to do in a day besides write a brief. So if you sit down with a second marketer and do this as a team, and then loop in a creative, you must get a creative involved usually like a creative director or a high level, an ACD, a creative director, a group creative director, something like that. Someone that understands the strategy. Well, someone who can respond to what you've got, who can help you say in a better way what you've tried to say. Even an art director, creative director, is going to be really good at being your BS detector. That's what I used to say. My art director partner, when I was a working creative, was always my BS detector. I never showed an idea to anyone unless my art director partner thought it was at least meh. There was possibility <laughs> if there was, if we could make it work. She said, yeah. Okay. We'll put this in the, in the hopper. Right. But if she met is a slam dunk from the most critical creative member. That no, means no. <laughs> I wanted her. I, I wanted her. My, my best partners were always women. I wanted her to give me the thumbs up. And then I knew then I could talk about it with somebody else. We could share it with a creative director. And if the same thing has to be true when you're writing a brief, you can't write this all by yourself because you're lost in your head. That's your second point. <laughs> so let me get into the second point because I think this is all really good conversation. If I let you guys go, well, yeah, that's this we're going to hours. I know how this these, these creatives operate. Um, <laughs> but the second point is uh, of how to write an effective creative brief is to build in the amount of time you need for real collaboration. And this is yes. what you guys were just hitting on. And you've made really, really fantastic points, Howard, that this is not an exercise. It can be done in like 20 minutes by one person. And you definitely shouldn't treat it like a cut and paste job from your previous brief or from the Marcom brief. And because the, the, the tendency is, is that on the client side, especially for one person to create a draft and then they pass it on to the next person to build on their parts and add comments. And it, and it kind of goes through that sequential process. And, and a lot of times it happens like that on the agency side too. And I've seen the exact same thing where the account person takes and transcribes a client brief and then he just delivers it to the creatives. And the problem with this, and you guys mentioned it, is that it pulls out the most important thing that a brief needs to have, and that's collaboration, right? It's yes. the, the people talking to each other, and it's the, the discussion that is really, really essential in order to create a really strong creative brief. And now, this conversation needs to occur twofold. And if I was still on my tide box, I would say, I don't understand why you have to have the two conversations, but you guys are going to argue with me about that. So I'll just let you have it. <laughs> but first is on the client side where, you know, there has to be this some level of strategic conversation among critical stakeholders about two critical points. First is what is the work going to do for the business? What do we even need it before? And you need to be as specific as possible so you can have the right criteria for which to evaluate the work. Because if you don't, the discussions become very subjective as versus objective of whether or not you actually have good creative. You're talking about KPIs, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. it could be KPIs or at least like what I, what is my business going to do as a result? So at least understanding the impact that you want the business to have 
And then it has to be drilled down to KPIs at some level so that you can understand if the creative was effective. Because then also there's a, the audience, and that's the second critical point, which is that what does the consumer, customer, client need to feel and believe for the work to deliver for the business? So those things need to work together in order for the brief to have the full impact that it needs. And it goes back to, you know, we're, we're selling business here. We're not just, you know, creative, creative for the sake of getting awards and all those sorts of things. Is that nice? Right. Is that place nice? Yes. But at the end of the day, we're selling business. And that is the second conversation the net needs to have, which is on the agency side, which is like, okay, how are we going to instill the creative in order to be able to sell business so that our client is happy? And that's where I love what you said about you get the strategist, the creatives, you get these people together and you have that discussion and that conversation. And, and those things take time. That, that process takes yep. time and you need to let it have its time. Abraham Lincoln is famous for having said, if you're giving me six hours to cut down a tree, I'm going to use the first four hours to sharpen the ax. Right. So what I say is if you, whatever amount of time you are now being allowed, which is basically what it is, it's not what I take. It's what you're being allowed to write a brief, multiply it by five. And what I hear is I'm usually given an hour. I say, well, even five hours is too little. You should get a week. You don't need to extend the deadline. Just take the amount of time you usually get to, to write a brief and, and, and triple it. Because what happens is if you are more prepared, if it's a tighter brief, you're not going to be sending the work back for redos. So the deadline doesn't have to change. The problem I hear now is how many times work is sent back because it isn't what it was supposed to be. I, I ask a question or ask, I start with the creatives. I said, creatives, how many times have you seen an inspiring creative brief in the last year? One out of 10 times, three out of 10, seven out of 10? What do you think they say? None. Barely one out of 10, maybe one out of 10. I asked marketers, I said, how many times do you see work exactly the way you want it in the first round? One out of 10, three out of 10, seven out of 10. Sometimes they say three out of 10. Sometimes they'll say always. Wow. But it's, I'm skeptical. The, po the point is that, if you don't take the amount of time to get this right, you're going to pay for it in the end. Garbage in, garbage out. So that's why you should never write a document by yourself. Now, when I asked the marketers who write the briefs, I said, how much do you collaborate when you write a brief? Well, they said, oh, yeah, of course I do. I said, well, tell me what that is. Oh, I write a draft of the brief, and then I send it around to people for their comments. Yep, yep. I said, who gets who gets it? Well, usually my boss. I said, you know what happens? You're, that's not collaboration. That's an exercise in masochism. <laughs> because now you have... If you send it out to four people or three people or five people, you have to figure out whose comments take precedence, whose comments have priority. Well, of course, we know the answer to that. Your boss's comments are going to be more important than your co your coworker, right? Your boss is actually probably less involved in the process and the weeds yes. of what needs to happen. And the audience of the brief is who? The creatives. But now when you send this off to your boss for his or her comments, the audience changes. It's no longer the creatives. It's the boss who you have to satisfy. And it can't. You have to loop in a creative because a creative is going to do the, the BS detecting that you need to help you fashion the words, to help you get to the point. Now, a creative is also going to tell you, and one of the things I do in the training is, I don't care about KPIs. I'm not interested in KPIs because I haven't got an idea yet. How are you going to measure the success of a campaign? You haven't got the idea yet. So I don't focus on KPIs. And the best briefs the briefs that I use to train don't even have KPIs. Now, I also operate in a world where marketers are the audience for my training. So I say, look, this is where page two comes in. <laughs> you can have a page two to your brief. Put the KPIs on page two. 
Creatives don't need to know what the marketing objectives are either. Put that on page two. We don't need to know what the budget is. Put that on page two. We don't need to have the mandatories and the copy points. Put that on page two. The creative brief is designed to get good thinking. Thinking first, tactics second. That's what I'm teaching. So how do you get to a brief that's only one page? You eliminate this stuff or you put it on page two because I promise you, creatives are looking for only a handful of things. They want to know, why are we doing this? What's the point of the advertising? What is our objective? Who are we talking to? What do we have to say? That's it. That's all they need to know. The other stuff is important because, yeah, the document is for creatives, but it's actually a document for the whole team. It's a rallying document so that we believe in the brand. But creatives are looking for only a handful of things. So that's how you keep a brief short. Well, and I feel like, you know, and this gets a little bit into semantics probably, but there's also different versions of briefs. Yeah. There's a lot of things called a brief that isn't necessarily a brief, right? So when we talk about this level, it is the actual big idea part of the creative process. And I think you're right in give them enough information so that they know who we're targeting. And then it becomes the checks and balances of the team, which is where my role always was as strategist to ensure that we're not limiting the creative thinking, but we're not putting anything in front of the clients either that's tone deaf and that wouldn't make any sense. And so I feel like to the point of collaboration on the front end and making sure that you have folks creating the brief together, then it's on the back end when the creative comes back to ensure that, okay, this is tight as an idea. It has legs. It's not, there's nothing in there that the client's immediately going to be able to reject it. There's all of that kind of stuff that I think comes into play, but I think your point is well taken. And this was always a point of tension between me and the creative designers was, you know, don't limit me, don't put handcuffs on. But on the other side, I would say, yeah, but also we're selling something on the other side of this. So this isn't fine art. This is graphic design. Well, as a former creative, I still have to acknowledge a very simple fact. I'm not an artist. I'm a commercial artist, right? And I do have to sell. The creative brief is designed to put me in a box. It's designed to constrain my thinking because that's what releases the imagination. This is an ancient concept. This is nothing new. I mean, Michelangelo, Michelangelo understood this. Michelangelo used to say, or at least his, his notebooks revealed that when he, when he stood in front of a, a brand new uh, piece of marble, he saw the piece of art within it. And his job was to remove the excess. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? yep. And that's what we have to do. We are business people trying to solve a business problem using creativity, right? So the brief has to articulate What is it that I'm trying to accomplish? Why the heck are we bothering to do this? What is the problem that we're trying to solve? And, you know, I've done training where we have spent two hours arguing about what is the problem for this? We do a a pretend brief. We, We write a brief together in the longest version of my training. And I get a case study from the company that I'm working with. And we could spend an hour and a half to two hours trying to figure out what the problem is because there's no agreement on that. You can't figure out what the problem is how do you write a brief? So this really is a forced exercise in constraining your thinking because that's what creatives need. Creatives want to say, don't put me in a box. And I say, you need to be put into a box because your best thinking comes when you are forced to, re- to rebel against the constraints of this brief. Now, my, my podcast buddy, Henry Gomez, he's the director of strategy at Zuby Advertising in Miami. He likes to say, 
that there are times, it doesn't happen a lot, but there are times when I write a brief, I think it's an inspiring brief, and I've collaborated with the creative director, we're all on board, and he sends the work off, the, the brief off to his teams, and they come back with an idea that is far afield from what the brief called for. And what Henry says is, from time to time, I'll look at the, the work, and I'll say, I have to redo my brief because that's better than what I was asking you to do. You stumbled across a great idea inspired by this brief, but it doesn't reflect the strategy of this brief. So I'll change the brief before I'm going to ask you to change the creative because I think the creative solves the problem. So what he's saying is a good brief writer, in addition to being a good writer, must also be humble and accept the fact that the creative process is a little magical. It's alchemy. It's kind of hard to explain. It's just that you, you walk down the path and you turn take a right turn and all of a sudden you're in someplace else that you never expected. But that's what you have to come to respect. So these are the things that that take the sub, you take the subjectivity of the of the creative work and you try to fit it into some kind of objective measurement. And that's where the brief is supposed to is supposed to help you. I love to quote Henry because he's he's taught me so much because he writes briefs for a living. Um, and I try to I steal from him all the time and use it in my training. He says, when I write a product, when I write the customer description, what I try to do is create using words a costume that the creatives can put on and see the world through the eyes of that customer. And I love that. It's 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 articulates exactly what it is what I'm doing. I have to be able to empathize with that a woman who's buying Tide detergent or a man who's buying a new car. I have to see the world through their eyes. And that target description requires that kind of creativity. It's not just a series of bullet points. That's why I, you know, I hate it when I see creative briefs that are just bullet points, household income, education, age. I don't know about you, but I've never met someone who's 18 to 54. <laughs> right? You say that an 18 year old and a 54 year old are gonna have something in common? Maybe they're both men. Maybe they're both women, right? You don't write to someone who's 18 to 54. You write or you concept to one person. Marketing Smarts is sponsored by scottmaltz.com. S-C-O-T-T-M-A-U-T-Z.com. Scott Maltz is a popular keynote speaker and number one best-selling author whose latest book and talk, Leading from the Middle, helps middle managers dramatically increase their influence up, down, and across their organization. Want your company's middle managers and leaders equipped to foster a high-performing organization? Want them inspired to drive the change and transformation that's a challenging necessity moving forward? Then go to scottmaltz.com to check out Leading from the Middle and all of Scott's keynotes, trainings, courses, and books. On a personal note, Marketing Smarts has worked with Scott as our business coach and found our own successful results, so we highly endorse him. The third one here is a brief should be a single page, and, and you alluded yeah. to that in what I want to get into and really like sh uh, sharpen in on is the reason why. And really, it's because, as you guys have discussed, this is creatively all a person can really internalize. And what's more, and you just were hitting on this, it has to be more story narrative based because that's what actually allows somebody to really get in the minds, the heads, the experiences, the hearts of the person that you're trying to reach. And you're trying to immerse that creative in that experience. So, and they may not be as close to it as you are. So mm -hmm. by telling the stories, you can help them bring it to life for them. So you're going to want to tell stories about the audience that you just said, like, what is that woman who is buying Tide detergent? Who is she? 
What, how does she behave? What is she concerned about? How is she feeling? And this is not a demographic standpoint because I, I, I agree yeah. with you. Like I say that all the time. I'm like, me and, and April are in the same demographic. We have totally different perspectives mm-hmm. and totally different needs, right? Now, the other story is the environment or the context that the, that the creative is going to be going into. I mean, you have to kind of understand the experiences of what this person is, it, your target's going to be experiencing so you can effectively think about how that's going to be translated, your idea is going to be translated into that environment, how your audience feels and does as a result of your creative execution. What do you want them to go do? What, how do you want them to behave? What do you want them to say? And then how the brand and business transforms as a result. I think sometimes we miss the story because we stop at what we want, which is we want them to buy what we're selling, but we forget to think about, okay, once we get there, how's the brand going to be then? How's the brand going to transform? What's the new experience for the brand going to be? And where's the next step beyond that? And as you said, and I totally agree, I mean, this is not language, marketing language or business speak. This isn't bullets. This isn't like the KPIs. This isn't like, you know, the specific mandatories, all those things, as you said, you know, go on page two. And they're not like, it's not important. That's what like, those things are important to the client and need right. to be reflected. Right. But those are more of like how you evaluate the ideas versus what goes into the ideas themselves. I think you, you you touched on this point about what kind of language do you use in a creative brief? It's everyday conversational language. Mm-hmm. And every every Marcom brief I've ever read from the client is full of marketing speak mm-hmm. and acronyms and insider lingo. Yes. And it, it's just everybody falls into it. Everybody's guilty of this. I've done it. No one's innocent. No one has a monopoly on doing this. Everybody does it. In fact, just today I was looking at a website for a company that I'm going to do some training for. It's a very big ad agency with a you know, worldwide presence. And I don't know what it is about ad agencies, but they use this language that means not, it's just like transformational and experiential and egos. Like, it's like, what the, just come on, tell me what it is that you do. So this is from a creative brief written by Leo Burnett, a quintessentially stellar packaged goods ad agency in Chicago. Absolutely. I mean, yep. they created Tony the Tiger. Um, they've just done so much iconic work. And this is from a brief for a product we've all heard. And you, I use this myself. It's called NyQuil. Right? <laughs> it's a nighttime cold medicine. And this is a, actually a long section. So I won't, won't read the whole thing to you. But this is from their creative brief. In answer to the question, who are we talking to? And pay attention to how this is written and how well this is written. This is writerly. right? This is creative. Who are we talking to? And the answer is cold sufferers. You know how you feel when you've got that cold, that pathetic little inner child of yours suddenly wakes up and before you know it, you're moaning and whining. You've gone all whiny and wimpy, all snivel, snot and slovenly, red, raw, puffy eyes, pale skin, lank hair. Everything seems to be sagging. You feel like something from a Salvador Dali painting. You want to (laughs) snuggle up in bed and damn it, you want your mummy. But it's not fair, is it? Because no one else takes your suffering seriously. Good God, pull yourself together, man. We're not talking leprosy here. Don't be such a baby. Get on with it. Stop moaning. Yes, your instincts tell you to be a child, but you're not allowed to because you've only, only got a cold. So what's beautiful about this, this isn't he's 54 to 75. It doesn't, it's not man or woman. It's not age group. It's not education. It's not income. This is what happens when you get a cold. Now, I like to say when I read this in, in my training, so this is basically describing guys because we turn into big old babies. Yeah, 100,000%. Right? 
And every woman in the room nods her head and says, yes. And all the guys kind of like, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> the point is, this is empathetic. The brief writer knows who he or she is talking to. And as I would say, it's done what Henry, my partner, my podcast partner is trying to do, creates a kind of costume that we can put on and understand. We meaning creatives. I understand who I'm talking to. And it has nothing to do with the nuts and bolts of a demographic or a psychographic. This is just what happens when you get sick. And I empathize with that. So that's an example of no marketing speak. It's creative. I also ask people who listen to this, do you think that's the first draft? No way. No. This is well-written. This is someone who probably went through this and tightened it up and edited it and changed it and, and does what a great writer does, never submits a first draft. So does this something you can whip out in 20 minutes? I would say that even a 30-year veteran would never even consider doing it. A, a, a newbie, maybe. But you want this to sit, you want you want to write this out, you put it aside, go do something else, come back to it later and say, what else could I add to this or take away? Now, this is a very long, I did, I read only two thirds of the description. It goes on from the paragraph. Um, but you got the point from the two thirds that I read. Nevertheless, a creative reading that is going to know exactly who he or she is going to write and concept and think of big ideas for. And that's what we need to ask of our brief writers. You need to commit to this not as a form to fill out. This is not a driver's license application you're filling out where you know all the answers before you start. This is a thinking document. You need to stop, take a moment, discuss, go back and forth. And it's it's really fascinating when I do the training and I break people into small groups and they write a draft of a brief and I mix creatives with marketers. They come back to me and I, before I even ask them to tell me which, you know, what's your answer to this question, I say, well, was it like collaborating like this? They say, oh, I had no idea how the creatives think. Uh -huh. I learned something with the creatives or the creatives say, the marketers had some really interesting ideas. I never thought about it that way. And the other thing is, they said, when I collaborate, it takes the pressure off me. It's not just me having to write this. I've got someone who can, can bounce my ideas off of. And one person takes the responsibility of kind of being the scribe. And that's fine. That's kind of the way it should be. But when you collaborate, all of a sudden you've got the benefit of two, maybe three other people. It makes the process fun. You get it done quicker. You get more ideas. And when you tell the world, in other words, you tell your boss, I'm collaborating with, with Bill and, and Susie, then I think they respond differently to the draft. It's not like it's just you and they can't say, well, she's only been on the job for three months, so I can't expect much. But if you if you're only been on the job for three months and you've looped in a a marketer who's been there for two years, all of a sudden you start to have a little more street cred. So it's this is the benefit of collaborating. This is the benefit of using everyday language. This is the benefit of thinking your way through the document and you come up with a better, clear. And then if you get a creative involved who can help you polish or confirm, yeah, I like that thinking. And the other thing I like to say, you can always make a lot of money with uh, from a creative department when you Invite them to play poker because we have terrible poker faces, <laughs> right? We, you know, we have terrible poker faces. So when you show them a brief that's really bad, you know right away. But if you show them a brief that they like, what's the first thing they're going to do? They're going to say, I can work with that. Or they start ideating right away. They start thinking right away. They can't help it. But a bad brief, an unclear brief, they're going to it's like, creatives love to complain. Creatives love to complain. So the last thing you want is to have a complaining creative. You want them to be working with the brief instantly, 
looping them in, asking for their feedback and getting them to help you write the brief, that's going to ensure that. That makes the whole briefing process better, more fun. Was that NyQuil one, one page? I doubt it because it was a three paragraph description, but you know, it's from Leo Burnett and it's from NyQuil and I'm going to cut them some slack. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fair. One of the greats could break the rules from absolutely, absolutely. You know, the thing about that that you said it right, breaking the rules, you can't break the rules if you don't know the rules. That's mm -hmm. exactly right. Once you know the rules and you say, you know what? This product really deserves a three-paragraph product des customer description. And I'm going to go ahead and do it. And it pays. This will have the audience, of course, creatives can be a little jaded, so they might not laugh out loud the way we do when we read that. I, I read this many, many times and I still think it's funny, but it it achieves its purpose, which is to give the creatives a very clear three-dimensional picture of who I'm talking to. Well, and I think, you know, you mentioned how some of this training doesn't happen anymore. And I have to think, you know, I was a big fan of Mad Men and that show really, I think is quite truthful in the way that the industry used to be. But I think that some of those principles of stepping away and giving it time to marinate and bringing in different people to discuss the challenge and brainstorming together. All of that is what gets you to the, the emotional space. And I, and I think it's part of it is the storytelling of the person. But I think too often on the bad briefs, what I would see is there would be a run at it. It wouldn't be 18 to 24, female, you know, head of household, any of that kind of stuff. But what it didn't do was go far enough. Because they would get to what they would quote unquote call an insight, which would really be an observation, which is just a fact about the person versus mm -hmm. creating the full narrative that gets at the crux of the emotional pain or whatever is going on that's going to make that person want what you're selling. Right, right. The best briefs that I use don't even ask the question, what is the insight? The insight is embedded in every answer. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I, I came across a great exercise for the difference between a fact and observation and an insight. And I came across when I was when I was reading work on um, ah, it was a dog food. I forget what I forget the brand now. The distinction was a fact is dog owners feed their dogs in the morning or in the evening. That's a fact. The observation is dog owners feed their dogs in the morning and the evening because that's when they eat. They have breakfast or they have dinner. Now the insight. What is the insight from these from this factness observation? The insight, not the insight, an insight. There's no such thing as a single and one and only insight, but an insight to these facts and to this fact and observation is dog owners and people in general feel guilty eating in front of their pets. So they feed them when they eat themselves. So what can you do with that insight? And do you need to have that as a standalone insight or can you embed that into the answers of why are we advertising? What's the objective? What do we know about our our target audience, I would say that would fit nicely into our target audience. It's like, you know, our target audience is a pet lover and pet lovers are different from other people. You know, they treat their, they treat their animals like children. That's what I was going to say. The actually yeah. the bigger insight there is the, why do we do these behaviors? Because pet owners mm -hmm. love their animals as if they're children. And so we, right. our behaviors onto them. Yeah. I mean, the Got Milk campaign is a fantastic example of a very simple, easy to overlook insight. And they discovered that no one buys or drinks milk by itself. It's always milk and. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Milk and cookies, milk and cereal, milk and this, milk and coffee, milk and. And, and the other insight was 
we don't think about it until it's gone. Mm-hmm. And that was the whole basis of the campaign. Mm. It's one of those staples that it's out there, it's every day, but we just don't think about it until we don't have it. Right? How many of us actually remember to buy milk before we run out? I'm sure there are, I'm sure there are some out there who are, you know, anal retentive types. It's like, oh, I got three quarters <laughs> of a gallon left. I need to buy two more. Okay. Well, because you don't want to hear your, the kids complain when they don't have that's, any milk. Yeah, that's right. really what it comes down to. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah. I'm going to move into the next point, but you held up a book and for the our yeah. listeners. What was the book that you held up? It's it's a book called A Technique for Producing Ideas by James Webb Young. James Webb Young. And it's got the inner uh, forward by William Birnbach, which is why I got it. 36 pages. There's no excuse for you not being able to read this when you go have your morning constitution. Okay. <laughs> it's short. It's fun. And I've given this copy as required reading for every every place where I've worked as creative director. He outlines, he was the one, he's the first one because this was written in the 1940s. And you'll have to forgive him because he makes reference to our, our dear president, Franklin Roosevelt. It's been in print since the 1940s. This is a guy who was a copywriter and ended up in the Hall of Fame, Copywriting Hall of Fame. He broke down the process that every human brain goes through to come up with an idea. It's five steps. And if you work, if you read this and you understand how your thinking process works, you will understand where you are in the concepting concepting process, and that'll help you become a better conceptor. The first is gathering information. Create a brief, create a brief. The second is mulling all that information over, processing it. The third is step away, mm-hmm. go do something else, which is why we all hear people say, I have my best ideas when I'm walking the dog, I'm in the shower, I'm commuting to work. You're not doing what you're doing because you need to let the subconscious come into its work. Step four, is that aha moment when all of a sudden that time where you've been walking away produces the idea. Step five is confirming the idea. You go to your art director, your copywriter, and you get the BS detector. It's either this or that. If it's here, then of course, you know, the meh, it's got possibilities. If you don't understand how the ideation process works, you, you may not know where you are in that process and you may spend too much time in the mulling it over, the thinking, and you turn into a pile of mush. You don't know when to stop. So in understanding how that works, this is the difference between young creatives and mature creatives, which is why mature creatives can produce work in 10 minutes that takes up a young creative two hours. Yeah. Yeah. That leads us into our fourth and final point about how to write an effective or inspirational creative brief. And that's to make the deliverable of the creative brief an idea, which I think you were just alluding to. And the biggest mistake we see teams make is that they bypass the whole idea part in order to get to the shiny stuff, which is the execution. Everybody likes to see execution, especially our bosses and all the stakeholders and all the people who are writing the checks. The problem with that is that you start to evaluate the execution while even thinking if the idea behind it actually delivers on the brief. So you've just totally just like made your brief irrelevant. And this is actually, I think, one of the biggest failures of creative that I have seen from my side. This is also why we see a lot of Me Too behavior is when people feel compelled to show up where others are just to be in the crowd, but they don't develop the idea in order for it to work for their brand in that platform. I mean, TikTok is full of this. Everybody just deciding I'm going to jump into TikTok. I'm going to do that execution. But what is the idea that's going to make that execution resonate and work for your brand? People don't think about that. Or the flashy executions. I mean, uh, the, the late, using the latest tech with no substance. We see that a lot. I 
still recall the little bouncing QR code from the Super Bowl spot, which was like, what is even the point of that, that you just spend millions of dollars to go do? And when he asked somebody who the brand is, everybody's like, uh, and, you know, it happened to but be. It got lots. It got lots of views. Everybody loved it. It got lots of views. Everybody loved it. But I wonder how much it actually translated into sales because you know, we know the cryptocurrency know. market is a little bit <laughs> rough. rough. Yeah. yeah, to say the least. <laughs> The lesson here is to ask your creatives to bring ideas that deliver on the brief. They may want to show some executions because sometimes that helps people internalize it mm-hmm. or that, evaluate or evaluate, but that shouldn't be the deliverable of the brief. So Howard, what else do you have to say about this? Well, but that is the deliverable of the brief. You hand me a brief, I'm going to deliver you some ideas and it might be an execution. Now, I, I still say that idea first, tactic second. And we all know, I mean, for, I mean, the world is the world the way it is is backwards. Media goes out and buys what it needs to buy before the creative brief is even written. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do how do I even know it's going to be a TV spot? How do I even know it's going to be a billboard? How do I even know it's going to be magazine ads? Well, because we bought the media a year in advance, we got a great deal. So, okay. And the upfronts, right? It's even like up already it's like upfronts. It's like okay, what's the point of that? But no one ever asks me, and they never will. <laughs> I have to accept the fact that I'm never going to be consulted on that. And that's the way of the world. But the fact remains, you cannot ask for tactics if you don't know what the idea is. Yeah, right. And that's what happens. Marketers simply say, I want a video. I want I want a five, five direct mail campaign. I want this. I want this. It's like, okay, why? My first question is why? And sometimes the answer is, well, we did it last year. Mm-hmm. Or so-and-so companies doing it that way. Or so everybody else is doing it this way. It's like, yeah, well, let's time out. Hold on a sec here and let's ask the question, what is your objective? What are you trying to do here? This is demonstrated by the fact that a global survey revealed, no big surprise to creatives who know this, but revealed that 60% of marketers use the creative process to figure out the strategy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. They don't have a strategy before they even write a brief. Again, if you don't understand your brand, you can't write a brief. If you don't have a strategy, you can't write a brief. Strategy first, brief second. Creative brief is a tactical document. It is the tactical execution of the strategy. Now, the best definition I've ever heard of a creative brief came in a training I did recently from a marketer, believe it or not. Right. Give him some props. He said, a creative brief is the emotional translation of the strategy. Mm-hmm. What a it's like the emotional translation of the strict six words, the emotional translation of the strategy. And I said, that's brilliant, except when you don't have a strategy. Mm-hmm. And when 60% of marketers in this global survey, and we're talking about this survey was conducted in Australia, New Zealand, United States, Canada, and the UK. 60% of marketers admitted that they use the creative process to figure out what their strategy is. They send them out a brief. They see the work. It's like, no, that's not what I want. That's not what I want. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's what I want. Is that what I'll I want? Know it when I see it. I'll know it when I see it. So if you don't have a strategy, you know, I've seen every imaginable iteration of a brief where they say, okay, we want a print ad. We want a TV spot. We want radio. We want online. We want social. We want blah, 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 blah. It's like, I get that. But let's just get an idea first. Let's just have a driving idea so that this thing can translate across the channels. And maybe we can eliminate some of these channels because the idea isn't going to work or we need a different idea. You know, Henry and I, in our conversations, we've asked lots of questions like, do you need a new brief every time you do another campaign for the same? If it's a a seasonal campaign that comes by every fall or every 
Easter, it's the same sale. Then maybe the offer changes. Do you need a new brief for that? It's like, well, not necessarily. Why go back to the to the well when the brief that you wrote the first time was produce some good work? Because every brief produces a ton of work that never gets past the creative director, much less to the client, right? Now that's not to say that you need to res resurrect the work because you might, the nature of the agency world is that creatives are gonna move on. And so if you bring back the creative brief that you did last year, you may have a whole new set of team. Mm -hmm. You may have only one team that was there last year and you've got two new teams. So you don't need to write a creative brief that's brand new for every new campaign. You also don't need to write a creative brief for every project. You have to ask yourself, if I'm going to devote the time necessary to write a great brief and it requires time, then say everything below this line is just going to have a work order. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And everything above this is going to have to have a brief. And maybe everything above this line that has the brief is attached in some way to the other things that won't need a brief. Yep. Yep. And you just attach, you do an addendum because there's no possible way for the incredibly hectic world that we live in where all the deadlines are three weeks ago that you can devote the amount of time it's required to do a brief for every project. So don't try. This will elevate the importance of that document and give it more, more cred. Okay. So you have to be judicious about when do you write a brief and when not. Well, and if your brief is brand led and like we've talked about throughout this, you have the consumer narrative in there and it comes off the page in a way that produces a real person, those things don't change on a quarterly or project basis. Those should be the foundation that are always there. And in fact, I mean, some of the best client work I've ever been on are clients that lasted years and years, but the richness of that brief stayed the same. And we were able to mature the brand and the experience because we were bringing that consumer to life and bring, keeping them in the room for an ongoing amount of time to where the experience matured and the consumer matured in the minds of those working on the business. And so yeah. the marketing and advertising got that much better because we were continuing to say, and then what would they do next? And what would they do next? And what mm -hmm. would, would we see? The person didn't change. The person became richer and more yeah. alive. I have kind of a rule of thumb. One product, one brief, one objective, one target audience, one single-minded proposition. If you have two of any of those things, new project, new brief. If you have segments, do it a second brief, right? I show I show a creative brief. It's one of my favorite briefs. It's written by the Richards Group mm -hmm. in Dallas yep. for an account. I don't know if they have the account. They may not have the account still. It's for Kiwi Shoe Polish. <laughs> yeah right it was an outdoor campaign it was done in the 90s so that it was a funny campaign the humor doesn't necessarily travel all that well because the target audience was men and a specific kind of a guy it was a guy who really cared about how he looked but for some but for one reason or another just kind of was oblivious to his shoes <laughs> right so they were going at now can you think of another shoe polish besides kiwi not by the brand name, no. Yeah, exactly. So Kiwi probably is the market leader. They probably own the market. So they can get away with doing stuff that a, a second or a third or a fourth place brand can't get away with. So the brief was very short. It filled the page. It was 127 words. I know because I counted them. <laughs> so I, I sometimes encounter pushback against this brief because they say, well, women buy shoe polish. I said, 
Yeah, not really. Even if they did, they're not targeting women for this brief. And they did that on purpose, right? The best briefs are really focused, very narrowly focused. It's to this group of men. It's to this group of women. It's to this group of children. Some even go so far as to say, you know, I have a creative brief from the early 2000s for a grocery store in the UK. It's actually a frozen grocery store. And their target audience is mums. <laughs> 80, 85 to 90% of people who shop in grocery stores are women. I mean, that's just a fact of life. Is Are they being sexist by identifying mums? No, they're being smart. They know who their audience is. They're talking to the, even a brief that's 20 years old which could be perceived as maybe sexist today is spot on because it knows its audience. And that's what a brief writer must be aware of. You kind of have to put aside some other issues to say who really uses this product? And then can you think like that person? Because if you can't, you should let someone else write the brief. Yeah, I think that's a really great way to wrap up the uh, the four points and head into our, our final segment, which is generally when we talk about a brand who's using or not using their marketing smarts. But when we have a guest, we assume that the person's using their marketing smarts. And I think the, <laughs> this conversation has been one that it totally exemplifies that. So, however, I just want to turn this over to you and let, have you take us home. Like, give us any other insight that you feel like maybe we missed, we didn't, we didn't talk about here a key theme that you want somebody to take away and obviously tell everybody where to find you. Okay. First of all, there's no such thing as a perfect brief. And let's kind of take some pressure off ourselves and say, my objective is not to write this perfect document. It's going to be imperfect. And again, I'll quote my podcast buddy, Henry Gomez, who says, my goal is to write an inspiring brief, but if I can't write an inspiring creative brief at the bare minimum, I want to write a clear brief. Creatives can use a clear brief. So for example, I preach that if when you're writing a single-minded proposition, which is the kind of the heart and soul of the brief, it's that one, it's that line or a phrase that kind of summarizes what's the one thing about the product or service that I want to communicate to the to the audience, to the to the customer. I like to see people really swing for the fences and try to write a headline, try to be headliney. Some of the best single-minded propositions have become public-facing language. The one I like to cite is the chocolate milk chocolate that melts in your mouth, not in your hands, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for M&Ms. That was a single-minded proposition on a brief it became a tagline. In this next breath, I will say, don't put that kind of pressure on yourself every time. Because your objective is not to write a tagline. Your objective is to write a clear phrase or sentence to tell the creatives what it is that they're trying to think about. So let's not kid ourselves into thinking that we can write a perfect brief. And in fact, if you ask creatives, when was the last time they saw a perfect brief? They'd say, well, I've never seen a perfect brief. And it alludes to that, that series of questions I asked earlier in our conversation. You know, when was the last time you saw an inspiring brief? It's pretty rare. It's very rare. But that doesn't mean we can't aspire to, to write better, clearer briefs. So don't try to write a perfect brief, but when you collaborate with a small group, you're going to get closer to writing a clear brief. Um, I've, I've, already, I've already emphasized uh, collaboration. That I think is really, really fundamental. Give yourself enough time to do this. I, ju I, just, I think that people make the mistake that a brief has to have everything. I guess I'll close with this. I think it was Mark Twain who said, I apologize for writing such a long letter. 
if I had more time, I would have made it shorter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The question I get a lot is, how do you know what's the right amount of information? Talk to your creatives. They'll tell you. They'll tell you. They'll help you write a, a single page brief because that's all they want. Just give me the, the nuts and bolts and I'll, ta- I'll take it from there. Right. I love that. And, and Howard, where, where can they find you if they want to talk more about briefs? Yeah, I do online brief training and you can contact me through my website, creativebriefworkshops.com. I've also, that's where I post the, we, we post the, um, the, the, bod, the podcast. I have a, a weekly blog that I do. I'm going to be announcing soon that I'm starting a creative brief archive. There's no place on the planet where you can go to look up creative briefs. That's awesome. There's no central repository. And I think in the next month or so, I'm going to be launching the creative brief archive and we'll be housing creative briefs that I'm going to acquire. And I'm going to put the word out to my friends in the ad agency world to help me because I can't do this by myself. I need you to send me briefs. Go back into your archives to the 60s and the 70s, you know, when it's no longer proprietary, I need to fill up my archives so that eventually people can come and see that it'll be free. All you got to do is register, but it won't cost you a dime. And then, of course, I do workshops for the ANA. You can reach me through the ANA if your company's a member. That's perfect. Thank you so much. And so just to summarize how to write an effective and inspirational creative brief, make sure you know your brand. You can't write an effective brief if you don't know your brand and how it exists in the world. Second, build in the amount of time you need for real collaboration. This is not an exercise that can be done in 20 minutes by one person. You need to have conversations. Third, the brief should be a single page. Creatively, this is all a person can internalize, and it should be more story narrative based than factual bullet points. And finally, make the deliverable of the creative brief an idea. The biggest mistake we see teams make is that they bypass the idea to get to the shiny stuff, which is the execution. And with that, we'll say go and exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. We can help you become a savvier marketer through coaching or training you and your team or doing the work on your behalf. Please also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing on your player of choice and sharing with at least one person. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.